You are listening to Normalized Crime, an in-depth look at gang life and all the effects that come along with it. Hey everybody, welcome back to Normalized Crime. I'm Eric. What's going on, Berto here? And Berto, we're back with another episode and it sounds like we got a special guest today. Yeah, I figured I'd... I'd uh... I trip you up and surprise you with a with a guest, man. And uh, this guest here is, is somebody I've known for a very long time. I believe we met in second grade at Forest Home Elementary. Shout out to Forest Home, right? So, um, but the the reason we have this guest on is because um, he's come a long way in his life, man. Uh, you know, this is a guy who grew up in the street, similar to me. Stories were eerily similar. You know, both grew up in in our own trauma, so to speak. And, and obviously he'll get into some of that, you know, at this point in his life, he's become a successful business owner. Um, he transitioned from that lifestyle. I can't say it was seamless because those, those transitions never are, but he worked hard. Um, he's got a company that has over 30 employees now, you know, and last year's revenue was about 3.9 million. That's with an M, you know, so for, Everybody on the South Side that thinks it's not attainable, that success is not attainable. Um, this is a prime example, man. He's a he's a he's a good father, a good husband, great friend, you know. And uh, it's just I'm I'm happy to have you on. This is just my friend Paulino. Paulino, what's going on, bro? How you doing, Berto? How you doing, Eric? So uh, yeah, no, it's nice to be on with you guys. Appreciate it. All right, all right. So it's my job to to be the interviewee. I guess here, but, uh, before I do that, man, I just want to, I got a heavy heart, man. So I, I feel like it's, it's best if I just, if I let a little bit of that, uh, to, to the viewers and to clear the air for myself, man, I had a, uh, a friend of mine pass away that I've known over 20 years. It's, it's never easy when you deal with, deal with death, you know, it's never easy dealing with you know, that kind of topic, man, it's even harder when, you know, somebody has been through the mud, kind of like how we're talking about right now with me and Paulino, and you make it on the other side of it, and yet, you know, something else happens to you in life, and, you know, God kind of has different plans, and unfortunately, we have to be okay with that. It's kind of a sad way to start the show, but it, it it's it's a little bit of a therapy for myself, man, to be able to release that. <clears throat> Circling back here, man, and, and kind of to, to, I guess, brighten up the mood a little bit or bring it back down because we're about to talk about Paulino's life. But uh, <laughs> so so Paulino, man, why don't you go ahead and give us a little bit of a give a little a little bit of a summary, man, of kind of where you grew up, how you grew up and and, and maybe just uh, give us some insight into what your life was like. All right, guys. Well, <clears throat> like Berto said, we we met in second grade at Forest Home. So Forest Home was kind of like uh, now being an adult. It was kind of like a hub for like future, you know, gang beggars, drug dealers, you know, future murderers. Basically, it was like a hub because everybody that I basically grew up with, um, that I met at that school, basically was dealing with the same type of um, living situation. You know, having uh, parents addicted to drugs or parents that were kind of abandoning their children or have their children live with, with others. So it was like, that was the kind of environment that we, we grew up in. 
um, in elementary school as second graders. <laughs> yeah. So it was just kind of uh, one of those things where you kind of had to pick your lesser evils at, at some times. You know, it's more or less like uh, one funny story I, I have about Berto, and you know, you know, he'll he'll be speaking about our buddy Rick next week. But when Rick first came to school and and I told him right away, like, hey, man, um, you're going to have to scrap with, with somebody, you know, like, just get it out the way. And that first person he scrapped with was Roberto. So it was kind of, <laughs> that was a kind of a childhood environment that we were in. It was more or less like, you know, we didn't know how to comprehend things in a correct way. So every time we got into an argument, it turned into a fist fight. And that was just kind of like our, our upbringing at, at that point. But we had a lot of happy times and happy memories because we didn't know that our environment was dangerous that, that we were kind of growing up in at the time. You know, we were just kind of kids living in the moment and appreciating that, um, right. that brotherhood commodity. So, you know, <clears throat> when Forest Home was a big part of my life because, like, uh, for me, I'm still I'm still in Milwaukee. You know, I, I own a roofing company, but but I like to always keep true to my roots, you know, so I'm not I'm not that far away from, uh, from seeing Forest Home all the time. But, like, I met a lot of key people in my life you know, that I had a closer relationship with Forest Home. And then kind of, um, you know, a summary of elementary school, I feel like it set it us all up for our future friends. You know, I, I everybody that I remember from Forest Home almost still has the same friends from Forest Home. You know, w- whether they're in prison, you know, dead or or out of state or something like that, it's, it's just that we, we all have almost like that, that brotherhood commodity coming from that ele- elementary school. But, uh, right. you know, moving on forward from that, like, the way I grew up was, like, um, you know, I had uh, my mom and dad. They were together as when I was a, when I was a, a child at Forest Home. And then my dad ended up uh, getting sent to prison when I was about eight, nine years old, around those years. I'm not 100% sure, but I remember it was, like, I think fourth, fourth, third or fourth grade around there. And then when he got sent to prison, that's where in um, me and my my younger brother ended up moving with uh, with, with a couple of aunties. You know, we kind of were just house jumping, and then I ultimately I ended up moving in with my grandparents for quite some time. But it was only it was only it was only available for me to move in with her. So my brother was kind of you know jumping back and forth from a couple of aunts' houses to my mom's house and coming back over by me. And then and you know then, we come and not to, not ahead. to cut you off. Um, but but I think it's important to emphasize this, bro, because I've seen it firsthand. I think it's safe to say, man, that you and your brother were really close, you know, yeah. and you and your brother were close, almost similar to how me and my brother are close. And so I can't imagine us being, you know, split up at a time like that in our life. So um, I can imagine that was hard for you. Uh, and, and before you go on, I think um, I think I, I, I think it's important, man, to to really to really hone in, man, and and to let our audience kind of absorb and understand that it's so easy for us as men now to gloss over, you know, these portions of our life. You know, it just became a normality. The things that we've went through, the things that we've seen as a child, and ultimately the men we end up being are, is shaped by those early impressions, those early things in life. And... I just think it's key to really not not forget to mention, like, listen, man, like going through the struggles from coming from an abusive household, you know, a dysfunctional household, a parent who's a drug abuser, you know, these are all things that are all too commonplace with all the people that we grew up with, you know, so 
I know he's doing his best to kind of to kind of skim along in the story, but I think it is it, it it is important, man, to point out that that's not normal. You know, that's not what the average person goes through. The people that persevere through these things deserve a lot of credit. So, go ahead, Pauline. Sorry about that. No, yeah, no, no, you're good. And, and you know, kind of kind of capping on that, you know, recapping on that a little bit is, it, in all reality, it, it's not normal, like to say the way we grew up, right? But and and as we were living in that time, you know, as we were growing up, for us, it was normal. Yeah, yeah honestly, like I didn't realize that I had it bad growing up until I was like. 17 years old, right? Because I had went to Florida, came back, and everybody looked, everybody that was related to me would always, you know, bring on my past. And I was like, wow, was, was I really, was it really that bad? I didn't realize it, right? Because cause my, there was friends of ours that even had it worse, you know? Right. And, right. Um, and, and I feel like we always had that, 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 like I said, that, that brotherhood where we all looked out for each other. You know what I mean? We all knew, oh, you know what? I ain't got no electricity right now. You know, let me go wash some clothes over here by by you or you know my 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 dad. You know he he's doing really bad. Let me go stay the night over here by Angel and Philip or something. You know, it's like you always have those right. friends that that go through the same exact thing that you're going through, but right. they might right. be they might be okay for a couple months, so you could hang out over there for a couple months while you right. know your household is 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 trying to get it together or or electricity is off. So for me, like growing up, I didn't really notice that we had it that bad. You know what I mean? Because we were having fun at the same time. You know, we we're playing right. football. And, and let me let me let me blow yeah. Eric's mind real quick, right? This is how close we were as as friends, right? Let me let me. This is how weird of a dynamic <laughs> that that yeah. the South Side and Milwaukee creates. We were friends, Paulino and I, and the guys that we're talking about, right? Just a different group <clears throat> group of guys that we knew in elementary school. We were friends, but with that being said, we had this thing that was basically like an elementary school fight club. Right. Yes. <laughs> and, and the crazy thing about it is we were friends, you know, yeah. listen, the first, the first, um, what he's talking about with Rick, the first day he came and, and I fought him, we ended up being best friends after that in detention center. But yeah. I mean, not detention in, in detention, like detention. in, uh, when, when, yeah, when they, when they make you go to detention for fighting. But my yeah, point is that, says. yeah, my point is that even though we were all friends, that's the kind of environment that we knew, you know, that's what we knew, you know, we'll fight and then we'll make up and then we'll be cool again. But that's yeah. the craziest thing. And we, like we, that was an ongoing thing for, I mean, that whole school year, right? Fifth grade, yeah. we had a fight club in our bathroom, Eric, where, yeah. you know, we would, we would literally go in there and there would be, you know, two different guys, you know, every time just in there fighting, scrapping, you know, yeah. I've been in there a few times. Paulina was in there a few times. Like it, it just, it just happened to be, you know, that was what we did. To the past time, how crazy is that, right? Yeah, no, it, totally. It, it was <laughs> actually, uh, it was actually, uh, it was a sixth grader that actually uh, arranged it. Yeah, <laughs> he Corey. Like the, Corey, Corey, yeah, Corey, Corey was a sixth grade uh, dope man already. You know, fresh uh, shell toes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fresh clothes all the time, and always handing out diamonds. Yeah, go ahead. You had a you had a question. <laughs> sure. Go ahead, Eric. Well. The first thing I, I want to say, so you guys were what? Uh, you were in second grade when this was going on, and you were fighting sixth graders. No, no, no. At this time, we were already in fifth grade. At this time, we okay, we, okay, yeah, we were in fifth grade at this time. But my question yeah. is, so Paulino, you said that that so you went down to Florida. Did I get that right? And then yeah, yeah, back, I went down and to that's kind of when you realized how dysfunctional what you had been growing up in was. 
Yeah, yeah, it was because because when I went to Florida, I I, I kind of went over there to escape like the like the murders, right? Because like like so so like the way we grew up, right? We're in second grade. We're we're always fighting. You know, there was a time where we had a friend named Jeremy, me 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 and Berto. You know, and I remember one time I was fighting Jeremy, and that was like Berto's best friend for that year, and then they start jumping on me. You know, and this was like in the hallway. So it was like we kind of always grew up fighting. But then like as we became teenagers, like the fights necessarily almost stopped because it, it, tur- it started turning into shootings. Right. You know what I mean? So and, like, and, and to be fair, we focused that energy on other people, you know, like yeah. not each other anymore, you know. And, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, and real but quick, like, real quick, Paulino, real ahead. quick, real no, quick, because I feel like you skipped a great part and I'm no, not going to let you off the hook on this one. <laughs> Uh, see, this is the advantage of knowing your guest, right? So, yes, um, you skipped an important part. One that is 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 uh, is definitely is definitely important to this podcast specifically, and that's the fact that Paulino at one time, whether you know this, Eric, he was actually going to be Wild Walker. Yeah, um, yeah. Paulino was going to be from Wild Walker, which was, as you know, the the first chapter that I was a part of, and um, yeah. <clears throat> and he ended up stepping away from wild walker which is before you moved to florida correct yeah 100 percent. yeah right so let's go back there let's let's take it let's take a trip down memory lane and let's talk about some of those times over there and let's talk about more importantly what made you choose to walk away mm-hmm. because that's what's important so so like going going you know fast forward from elementary school right so um now fast forward to elementary school i want to say i'm like 13 years old I go to a new middle school, right? You know, like what actually saved me from not becoming a full-touch king was I went to a different middle school because I, I moved in with my grandparents full-time, like after I left Forest Home. If if I would have went to school with to Autobahn with, with Berto and Tim and, and Rick and everybody else, I would have became a full-touch king because I would have been around them. So that actually separated me away from them. And then the school that I ended up going to was actually a, a private charter school. So it's like you wear a uniform. And then I and then I got into boxing, and that was kind of where I was. I had a little break away from my, you know, my friends that I've been around with my whole childhood, basically. To now, I'm hanging out with my cousins, but then I actually live in Kinghood, like Wild Walker territory. I'm like two blocks away, so I we end up getting into a couple fist fights, like in in the summertime, and then I end up getting into a fist fight with. Uh, with with uh with, with a wild walker uh well he wasn't a wild walker at the time but he ends up becoming one later I ended up getting into a fist fight with uh, Tubit and then um when I get into a fist fight with him I end up meeting his older brother which at that time he was actually uh called C14 it was a different gang at that time and then when 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 we kind of you know figure out that hey you know everybody starts hanging out and stuff like that I end up meeting the the actual the actual kings that were on Wild Walker, you know what I mean? That's where I meet Kiki and, and, and uh, Juanito and stuff like that. So then I started hanging out with, you know, we kind of just kind of all gelled together. You know, I was more like just because my aunt lived on 15th and Mineral, and that was like legit my second house. You know, to this day, that's still my second house in the world. And I would always be over there with my, you know, I had two older girl cousins that were teenagers that were around the same age as the, as the Latin Kings in the neighborhood. And then, you know, I was actually getting involved in a sense because of my friend Tubit and his older brother Revy. What ends up happening is 
they start looking at me more or less like, all right, Paulino, because I already had my own little crew, which was like my younger brother and like three of our three of my friends in that neighborhood. They all lived in they're all neighbors. And it was my cousin's house. It was my buddy Sean. It was my buddy Arturo. So that was already my little my little clique. And then it was my and my brother as as well. But then that was like my little clique. But then they started like coming around a little bit more. You know, they 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 had this game where they would run up on us and start you know play fighting with us. And then they kind of realized that me, my brother, and my cousin David can handle ourselves. Like we were actually body slamming these guys. We we're actually surprised. Like I'm not saying they were weak, but we we're surprised that we were able to like slam them. You know, punch them. You know, we're like, wow, you know, we're actually beating up some 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 gangsters. You know what I mean? Like right. we had that <laughs> we had that going on. So it was more or less like now they're starting to befriend us. But then <clears throat> what ends up happening is like, you know, I kind of want to fast forward. You know, there's there's like what I ended up starting doing, because one thing about me growing up is I always wanted money. I always had a vision like if you join a gang, right, necessarily if you join the Latin Kings, you know, because I was the most popular gang at the time that you're going to you're going to be connected with all the drug dealing that you can handle. It's basically this is the way I pictured it, right? If you join Kings, it's either you get your violation in, all of a sudden they give you a cell phone and they give you your your drug of choice and how much weight you want and how much you can handle and sell. That that was like my that was like, "All right, bet this is my chance to really start making money," right? So that right, right. <laughs> that's like my goal the whole time. And then I'm looking at I'm looking at these kings that are way older than me, right? They're probably like four or five years older than me. They're already like, I'm 13. They're probably like 17, 18. You know, they, they have a car and I see them coming in and out of out of their houses. I'm thinking they actually own those houses or they're actually um, renting them. Like that's their, their, their property, right? Because as growing up, you know, you hear the shootings, you know, you hear, you, you know, you witness the murders and stuff like that. So you always think that these, these actual gang members, that are involved with the Kings are actually, you know, rich or have money, you know, right. and you see them driving some, you know, decent cars, you know what I mean? Cause you're talking to a kid that comes from nothing, right? Like I, one pair of shoes the whole year, you know, maybe an outfit the whole year, you know? Right. right. And then once I started realizing that they, they don't own those houses, they actually live with their parents and they're that age. And I'm like, wow, they got their own bedroom. Oh, that's cool. Like, wow. their mom cooks for them. I'm like, Oh right. wow. They actually have a pretty decent life. And then I I witnessed, I'm like, wait, it's four of us. We're hanging out in front of somebody's house that we don't even know who lives there, right? It's just called the gangway. We're literally, right, we'll post right. up in someone's house on the block and not ask for no permission. And the people that actually live there would literally say, say hi to us or say, hey, sorry, guys, excuse me, and walk through their own gangway. We're in, we're in their front yard or on their porch. And they would walk through us and say and apologize for like, bothering us right and, right and i'm hanging out with with i'm, I'm with revy i'm with, i'm with two bit i'm with bed at the time and i'm like dude we we all have four guns on us like it's cold like what are we doing we're just out here waiting to see a rival gang member to start shooting at them like we don't even know if they're coming you know what i mean like they're, they're, none of this makes sense and i'm like right so we're really gonna commit a murder for throwing up our hands and there's no profit involved there's no way I'm going to be able to buy some shoes, buy some clothes, help my grandma with some, you know, with some food money. Cause I was already, I, I was already working. You know what I mean? Like I already picked up a couple odd jobs, you know what I mean? So I, I already had, you know, two, $300 in, in my total savings. Right. You know? Right, right, right. So, you know, I'm like, man, and then everybody, and then I end up, I end up like buying some weed. So I'm selling weed 
And then I'm like, wait, why is our so-called leader trying to smoke all my weed? I'm like, man, this this is not a good investment here, right? right? And then, but I was a little lucky because I had a lot of love from my my aunt's house. So I had an older cousin that actually, she's a doctor now. And she basically like raised me and my little brother, right? You know, so she's she's around the 17, 18 years old. And she's like going to college for her psychology degree and all that stuff. And she got it out the mud, you know what I mean? So she sees me posting with the boys, right? And then we end up getting to a little shooting with one of um one of my, my one of her older sister's friends, right? Because he was he was a GD, he was a rival gang member. It was on New Year's. And we're all we're all outside, and you know he has his hat cracked to the right, and then Tubic gets all crazy, but he doesn't do anything. And then the guy ends up, you know, he ends up pulling out a gun on us, and and you know I think it was uh, I forgot who was with me, but we end up just start shooting at him, and he's shooting at us, and luckily. We're all terrible shooters. No one got shot. You know what I mean? Right. So, right. so this is all standard. happening, right? It's a standard. It's a it's standard. A stand- that's a standard, standard altercation. Standard <laughs> so, operating. Yeah, and it's like raining a little bit. It's you know, like I said, it's New Year's Eve, so it's like that. Um, it's like that freezing rain. So, like dudes in the Lexus, because my cousins were were beautiful, right? So they they attracted all the all, all the top hustlers in the area. You know what I mean? So, you know, this dude was like, he wasn't even a gangbanger. He was, he was just a drug dealer, you know, looking cool, you know, and then he kind of seen, you know, some aggressive kids coming at him. So he had no no choice but to shoot at us. So I'm like, I'm legit like 13 years old. And while this is happening, my uncle, which is my godfather, he, he's, he's a white man, right? He, he actually uh, met my, my aunt in, um, in Mexico and he brought her from Mexico, brought her to Milwaukee, right? He's not saying he understands the neighborhood, but he doesn't want to see his kids or or me, sort of say, get in, become a gang member, a, a for real one, right? So he's watching this whole altercation. So they drive off. He's pissed off, right? He never yells. So I'm I'm surprised he's yelling. He's like, "What the fuck, bro? We know why would you do that? We love you. What if you would have died?" And he came up with every bad scenario that could happen at that situation. So and then my cousin right. starts crying. Michelle starts crying. And she's like, "Paul, you know I." I raised you better than that. And it was like, it was one of those situations where I seen how much I was causing pain to my loved ones. Where I was like, you know what? Me hanging out with these guys, because I felt like I couldn't get away from them because I had some some loyalty attached to them as well. Because I didn't want to just leave them hanging and say, hey, guys, I'm going to see you tomorrow and I don't want to keep doing this. But at the end of the day, I don't want to. I don't want to shame, be shameful to my family, right? Because that, that they're like that, that was actually like my real family there. Like if I consider anybody family, right. even though I have you know, you know, like a mom and dad and and you know brothers and sisters, like that house at that time was my family, right? That right, was my day to day family. So, so I took that in a way like a like 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 a eureka moment where I kind of gathered, gathered my thoughts, right? And then I was like, you know what? I can't hang out with these guys financially. Makes no sense. You know what I mean? Right. There's no reason for me to be hanging out with these guys. Like, I just spent $200. I just bagged everything up. I'm supposed to be making 500 bucks. And these guys literally just smoked about $80 worth of my weed. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And then I have a gun that is supposed to be mine. And they're like, oh, you got to put, you got to give us 100 bucks for the gun. They're like, you got to put it into the pot. I didn't even know what a pot was. I mean, I thought a pod was like their safe where they, where they keep the sales of the guns. And this is my gun. And then they're, they're, right. they're like, always trying to take it away from me. I'm like, dude, I bought this. Like, you know, what's going on? Like I'm already negative 80. Now I'm negative a hundred. Like, and now they want, they they want to take this gun away from me. Like, man, come on, man. 
And all right, so let's and, let's 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 do it. Let's do a catch up real quick. So yeah. I, I know there's probably there's probably a lot of there's probably a lot of questions. So let me yes. circle back. First of all, like okay, Eric, you heard him. He mentioned in the beginning the fight with Two Bit, and um, and he mentioned the name Revy. I've mentioned mm-hmm. Revy many times. Revy was he was. He was one of the guys that was from Walker, but was basically 19th Street. Like he was always with us, always around. Um, mm-hmm. Two Bit, he was the one who was actually with me um, when I committed my murder. He was, if you remember, he was actually the the uh, the driver of the car. So that's how small this world is that we're talking about. <clears throat> and then obviously Kiki and Juanito, those are those are names that when I was Wild Walker, I always mentioned. You can see, obviously the inconsistencies of how you're treated. Right. And, um, I think with Paulino, Paulino had a really bad experience. Um, and thankfully so, right. Like it's great that, that he got pushed away from it, but, um, but, but let's, you know, from the outside looking in, right. Or from me, from the inside looking, you know, across the street, I guess, cause I was one nine and then looking over at Wild Walker, like the way they treated him was wrong. First of all. Right. Like, I mean, when Paulino was coming in, you know, don't get me wrong, the hazing and the, the rough housing, all that, that's commonplace. That happens everywhere. Right. Yeah. But like, you know, but like trying to take his gun from him or, you know, doing things like that, like uh, to me, that's, uh, you know, that was, uh, that's dirty. Like you don't do things like that. But this just goes to show, right. And this is a, this is a prime example. And while I was listening, I was just thinking about the mindset and the mentality that obviously these other guys have. You know, and I'm not just pointing out Kiki and Juanito because obviously they're they're a spoke in the wheel like all of us are, right? And they're they they answer to somebody at that point too. And um, you know, but the mindset and the mentality is is to it's almost like to 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 recruit, but at the same time demoralize and beat you in a submission to a point where you almost submit to the gang and to where you have nothing else but the gang. Like if it, you know, when I hear your story, that's what I think about. Like if you would have just chose to be submissive and to follow everything that they wanted you to do, you essentially would have gave up everything else in your life. You know, uh, your, your, your family, you know, your, your uncle, he wanted you to stop your, your aunt, you know, and then obviously it trickles down. It goes from there. It has a ripple effect. And people start saying, man, you know, Paulino's tripping he's over there with them dudes and you know i don't even want him around now he carries guns and you know he'd be selling drugs i don't want him selling drugs around my house so it's just like a it's a ripple effect man but it's designed from the from from the gang aspect to basically make you act how they want you to act you know Mm -hmm. and for somebody like me i couldn't see it as well as paulino did you know, now don't get me wrong. I might have been a little more enamored with the lifestyle than he was. You know, I wasn't a big money chaser. I always talk about that. You know, we we differ in that aspect. Um, but I believe our hearts were similar. You know, and I believe that if he cared about somebody, you know, just like I, just like when I did, like he would be willing to to go to war with him, right? And so, those are characteristics that people should have seen in him. You know, if they really wanted like a good guy around, but instead they wanted somebody that could push around, you know? And, uh, no, I just think it's, it's important to point those things out, man, and, and kind of get everybody on the same page and understand like, this isn't, um, two different languages we're talking about, you know, when it comes to 19th street or wild Walker or 23rd street or Sawyer, the mindset is all similar. 
And, you know, this is coming from somebody who had a chance to be Wild Walker. And, 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 and I'm talking about Paulino. He had that chance. You know, he could have fought through the obstacles that were put in front of him. You know, he could have ignored the signs, you know, of these guys basically being bums, right? Like he could have ignored yeah. all those signs because yeah, I yeah. did. You know, I, I did. I became oblivious to it because I felt it was convenient to, you know, to it was convenient thinking from that mindset at that age. It was convenient for me to find a reason to walk away. Right. Like I would have been stupid in my mind to walk away. Like that's just an excuse. Now, obviously, now looking back, I wish I would have. I wish I would have, you know, pointed out all these inconsistencies that Paulino seen when he did. But I didn't. You know, and uh, but I think this is just a good way to contrast how two people in a similar mindset or at a similar point in their life, you know, kind of made two different choices. And um, so, uh, yeah, I just think that's that's important to reflect on. And and so once you made that choice, man, you you chose to walk away. Um, how did your life change and the people in it? Well, <clears throat> the way it changed was a little bit more like it turned revy. Onto like I don't know if you guys remember that that movie with Tupac where he was Bishop and he ended up like murdering his friends. Nah, uh, I mean like, I I know what you're talking about. I can't think. Yeah, of yeah. I know what you're talking I forget, about. Juice. I forget the name. Juice. Of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Juice. Yeah. So so it ended up turning Revy into into Bishop in that movie, right? So now Revy, at one time Revy was like he had my back. Like I got into a fight, like with um, some future MPs. They weren't MPs at the time. And then I just beat up his brother like two days ago. And they were the ones that had my back, like in that fight, right? Because I got into a fight. I ended up getting the better of the dude. And then they all were going to jump on me. And they, they jumped in and, and, you know, de-escalated the situation. And it went from us having love for each other, like buying each other food, sharing each other's clothes. And then to him, all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, bro. Like, I didn't tell him because I'm not dumb. I wasn't going to be like, hey, yeah, guys, I'm like, I'm going to stop gangbanging with you guys. And, you know, I'm your enemy, by the way. You know, I didn't say that. It was just like, hey, where you at? I said, oh, I made every excuse in the book to stay away from them. And then right. they started noticing what I was doing at my aunt's house. So they had they, they kept popping up and I had to tell them. I was like, look, bro, I said, at the end of the day, I ain't rocking with y'all. I was like, I already talked to Kiki. You know, he told me if I wanted to have my own set on 15th and Mineral, I got to become a king. I, I told him I'm straight. I don't need no set. I'm just, you know, I'm just doing my thing over here and and I need you guys to stop invading this because this is mineral. This isn't Walker. So once I, I I let that be known, he started coming around with the gun, flashing it all the time. He even he went as far as like pointing a gun at my friend, Sean. You know what I mean? And and like the next day I see him, I'm like, bro, why'd you do that? And, then, you know, Revy even like almost threatened me at that time. You know, so now I'm like, I'm like 14 years old now. You know what I'm saying? I'm like 14 and so, so I got a little, you know, I grew a little bit, you know, like I got a little more weight on me cause I've been boxing and stuff. And, and, you know, so Revy wasn't like much of a threat when it came to like fighting, but he was a threat for real cause he would kill you. He would kill anybody yeah. to be honest with yeah, you yeah, over sure. his game. So it ended up being a little, a little rocky, man. Cause, cause like I would see Kiki, you know, he basically would like look the other way, you know, Juanita right, was always right. showing love to us. So it was a little dangerous, man, because like, I kept hustling, you know what I'm saying? So I, I, I didn't stop hustling. I actually got better at hustling. And I was actually having skip out parties at my aunt's house where I would sell all my weed, you know, throughout the skip out party. And I actually had this little racket going where we would um, steal beer 
and like uh, wine from the liquor store. We'll just go, you know, put it on the counter and then all of a sudden we'll grab it and run out. And I would sell the beer at the skip out party. So, I, you know, I was kind of, you know, ranking in a little dough, you know, like 60 right. bucks every party. But then, you know, what ended up happening is a couple of my friends from Forest Home started coming, you know, which, which they were like GDs at the time. And then they they end up getting into shootouts with uh, with with Tubit and with like Remy, right. and so I always had to mediate. I always had to be in the middle of of a shootout, you know, like every other week, where it's like, bro, relax. This is my guy, you know. We we grew up together, and what ended up happening, which I kind of skipped about the Forest Home story, was like, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna take that back real quick, just to kind of give you guys a little a little foul back while I was so close to certain people because. When we were in Forest Home, uh, one of our one of our closest friends, and I feel like he was a close friend to all of us, he ended up getting murdered. You know what yeah. I mean? When we were in elementary school, and that hit us so deep, where it's like we had this um like this unspoken truce, where it was like no matter what gang or situation we get into, it's like everybody that had that brothership at Forest Home would never kill each other. And like when I when I would see my my guy Edgar. You know, and Rob, they, they came over to the party because somebody invited them. And then it was like two bits in there. Ravi's in there hanging out because I would still hang out with them. But it, it would always turn into an altercation at the end. But I was always willing to still hang out, you know. And so it, it made it really rocky, man. So so like the way I ended up getting away from that is that my mom ended up moving to 10th and Burnham. And then when my mom moved to 10th and Burnham, I was already I was already living with uh with with one of my dad's friends because I was roofing with him. And when I lived with him, I ended up going to 10th and Burnham and that turned into my new, basically my new shop, right? That I was like, oh, wow, there's a porch here. I have the same setup I had on 15th and Mineral and there's no gang banging over here. I was like, this is the perfect setup. So I started focusing, you know, my time after work and on 10th and Burnham. And that's how I made the transition from basically 15th and Mineral to 10th and Burnham. And that's how I ended up getting away from them. But then I would always run into Revy. And it got to the point, the last time he seen me, he ends up, he ends up pointing the gun at, you know, taking his, his pistol. Uh, he had a big revolver. I don't remember when Revy had that big, like, almost green revolver or no. Yeah, I think it was a three fifty seven. Yeah, yeah. And remember, they used to be in a white Maxima. I don't know whose car that was. Yeah, so, that was that was one of my, that was Juanito's car. Okay, so, so, so I'm... I already had my spot going, right? So some time passed by. I'm, I'm like 15 now, you know? And then at that point, all my childhood friends end up becoming Cobras, you know, uh, away from, you know, from Berto and Tim and Rick, right? So my other side of friends, they end up becoming Cobras. And to be honest with you, the other gangs that, that were on the South side, they're, they're actually really cool to hang out with because they were friendly. Like nobody was trying to kill nobody. Everybody was just trying to hang out, party, and get into a fist fight every now and then. Like that was the most danger we'll get into, right? Towards each other. But then you'll run into some kings and that would, you know, <laughs> everybody better start running or ducking. So so I'm going to a gas station. It's a known gas station, 14th and Mitchell. And as I'm walking in, I see Revy at the corner of my eye outside. And I'm like, fuck. I was like, he's outside. I said, I know this motherfucker want, wants some smoke. Revy walks in. He's telling me to come out, actually. I said, all right. I said, I, I, I'm paying for my stuff. You know what I mean? I'm paying for my stuff. He comes inside and he's like, what's up? I was like, what's up, bro? And he's like, come outside. I said, man, Revy, chill out, bro. Ain't nobody on that, man. And then he ends up just whipping the gun out. He's like, yo ass coming outside. <laughs> and as he ends up pulling out the gun on me, the the, the clerk at the gas station ups a gun on Revy. And he's like, get the fuck out the store. Because I knew the clerk really good. 
and uh, and Remy ends up leaving, and he threatens, you know, he threatens my life. He threatens my my little brother's a cobra now at that time, right? So he's like, hey, yeah. man, tell your little tell your little brother his lifeline's not extending. I was like, all right, Remy, man, I'll holler at you, bro. Because and then come to find out, my little brother just seen him a couple of days ago, and Remy was by himself riding a bike, and that's when my brother and Edgar ended up gang banging on him and, and got the better of him. You know what I'm saying? He ended up you know shooting at them, but they ended up shooting back at him. But Remy got away with them. They're actually chasing Remy in the car. Right. And it was it was that that was the dynamic of when I would run into Revy. Now all of a sudden he's my enemy, and we never had a real altercation other than me saying, "Hey, I'm stepping away from you, guy." Right. And then so here's, was, here's 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 the crazy part, right? So uh, let me let me. Uh, <laughs> so first of all, I'm gonna circle back, and I just want to applaud you on your uh, your great scheme to steal alcohol. That was that was some plan you put together. <laughs> Uh, we weren't gonna just speed past that. We just put it on the counter and take off, man. That's yeah. that's that's intuitive right there. But okay, so um, Edgar was like GD, right? But Edgar ended up being a Cobra. He was actually an OA, which is a gang from Chicago. But then he ended up being a Cobra. But he was always on Fifteenth and Mitchell, which is a bunch of SGDs. So yeah. that sounds like really confusing. But they basically all hung out together. Um, in fact, in the story where I told you about, uh, snuff and I getting shot at with the 30, 30, that was actually Edgar on the roof. So Edgar's actually the one that shot us with the 30, 30, but mm -hmm. so, so that he's right. Right. Like around this time, I remember this, this, this era that he's talking about. And this is like when we were like pedal to the metal gangbanging mode, right. All Latin Kings. I don't remember, um, I don't remember Revy being that gung ho about you, but I could see that because Revy was like, he was a rare breed, right? And he's right. Yeah. He couldn't fight his way out of a, rep, a wet paper bag. Like I've seen Revy fight. <laughs> he's got his jaw broke, you know, like he, he couldn't fight. Right. And, uh, but this dude would, he would kill you. He would shoot. He's literally on the run right now in America's most wanted for a murder right now because he, he was sitting at a table with somebody and they disrespected him and he pulled out the gun and shot him in the face and then walked over his body and took off. So, so this guy is, he's ruthless. Like I'm, there's no exaggeration about that. Yeah. Um, and, and it's funny, I'm starting to put it together right now. Uh, so when you, when, when you, when your aunt moved over there, you said the 10th and Burnham, is this when Rick lived right there on, on Burnham as well on, on, on 12th? On 12th and Burnham? Well, cause you remember, you remember, <clears throat> no, um, no. here's the, here's the, here's a super, another twist, Eric, that, you know, I've said this before, but Eric, I mean, Eric, Edgar actually ended up. <laughs> Edgar actually ended up living downstairs from us, him and yeah. his, his family. And so um, when that happened, that's why I said I knew a lot about Edgar. And then even then, like I, when I ran into him, he was like, listen, I don't gangbang no more. And obviously, you know, we were 20 deep at the house all the time. You know, like this is the house where I was just I literally just had a story about um, us getting jumped by a bunch of girls. Well, <laughs> that house right there, <laughs> that house on ninth. Right. Is the house yeah. that I'm talking about where we used to always party in the basement. Well, Edgar lived downstairs from us in that house. And so mm -hmm. this is how small the world is. Right. It's coming together. Um, yeah. So when I when I seen him, the first thing I said to him, I'm like, yo, like you already know, can't none of them dudes. He's like, bro, listen, I, I don't mess with the Cobras. I don't mess with the SGDs. I don't mess with the OAs. I'm done with that. He's like, man, I'm OA killer, if anything. Right. So he's, he's doing everything he can to convince me. And, you know, part of that is because he knew the kind of guys we were at the time. You know, 
And um, but there was truth in what he was saying because he did stop hanging out with them. And so I think that's like where, um, if I'm correct, that's kind of where Paulino kind of he he kind of came back into our lives because yeah. through Edgar. Yep. Because um, so he was living with his aunt. Um, um, and then so I ended up going over there and then I ended up seeing Berto. Remember, I don't know if you remember, uh, you were walking downstairs. And then I'm looking. I said, what's up, Berto? What up, bro? And then you just looked at us crazy. And I'm like, the fuck? And I'm like, Edgar, what you do? And he's like, no, nah, bro, he don't, he, don't, he don't want to talk to me because he thinks I'm still away. And then come to, you know, I'm glad you're kind of saying that story because literally like a week before we seen you, I actually convinced Edgar to go to 15th and Mitchell and tell um, Fatty that Edgar doesn't want to gangbang anymore, that he's out of that because I convinced him like, we're going to be out here. We're going to chase money. So you got to leave that game banging alone. And the only way you're going to do it is by telling them yourself. And I'll go with you. And I went with him. And they ended up, you know, Fatty ended up, yeah, he ended up punching him up like, you know, like 15 times in his face. And then he wanted to take Edgar's shoes off. And we're, that's when it was like, it, it was about to turn ugly, bro. You know, because honestly, right. like, I had, a, I had a little 380 on me. And we had a nine. But that's in the car because I had a car already at the time. And right. then um and I'm like damn so I'm 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 already cocked ready to go and I'm like damn bro we about to we about to get killed right now over these damn shoes but we're not gonna let him take the shoes off and then he was like you know what get the fuck up out of here dog and then Fatty um sees me like I end up turning around and Fatty sees me like you know kind of going back into my into my hoodie and it's it's the summertime right and I got a hoodie on so he's like you, right. fuck, you got something on you and I said no no I don't got nothing on me sir because I. I I'll say something funny like that and try to just, you know, get away because I know these guys, right? Because I was selling weed right. all the time, right? These are actually friends of mine, to be honest with you. And right. then um, and then a week later, that's when I ended up seeing Berto and Berto just looking at us crazy. And then and then I was like, man, nah, he'll be all right, bro. You know, like I always had it in my head that we had that truce. And then Edgar told me about that shooting, too. He was like, I think right. I shot at Berto. I was like, what? But then, you know, it was kind of one of those things where, like, shooting was sport almost. It was like, oh, we shot that dude, but they didn't shoot anybody or kill anybody at the time. Not saying right. that they weren't right. willing to do it, but it was more like, right. hey, we see them. Let's shoot at them. If we hit them, great. Right. If we don't, great. You know, right. so- and to be fair, to, to, to be fair, you know what I'm saying? If, if <clears throat> you know, I actually shot at this guy first. Like, we pulled on, we hit the corner, and this guy was right <laughs> there on the corner. And I had, like, three shells left because I saved a few for the run. And and um, and I end up letting him have it, and then he hit us with the thirty thirty from the from the roof, man. So and I ain't, I ain't gonna lie to you. To this day, I've never seen the sky light up that bright. I promise <laughs> you, man. That was that yeah. was one of the loudest gunshots and and most brightest. You know, like I, I'm talking about. Still to this day, um, I can remember that vividly. And it hit the car, busted the belt off the car. Uh, snuff almost lost control of it. Like it, it was it was it was a crazy crazy feeling you know to to get hit with something like that but but so let me transition here right and and because you know i think it's important we start to get into some of the good stuff right and um you know because that's what this is that's what this is about this is the important part and this is the message we're trying to send as crazy as it sounds eric but way back then probably 15 right paulino's probably 15 i'm somewhere in the same wage right he was roofing then like this is this is when his roofing game started right and so um and and the crazy part is, like he said, I was all right, you know, and I could I could vaguely remember what he's talking about when I seen him in the hallway with him, and 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 I think in my head, 
at the time, you know, it was more about the conversation I had with Edgar about bringing guys over to the house, you know, and then I had to, I had to check myself and be like, man, this is Paulino. Like I've known this dude forever, you know, and we ended up talking, we ended up conversating and he actually offered me a job to go work with him. Right. So let me tell you about my career as a roofer. So I went, (laughs) I went with him to a one story house on eighth and Washington or Madison. It was somewhere down there. It was a one story house. I could still see it clear as day. Right. It's Mm -hmm. a one story house. I could probably jump off the roof right now. Right. And run away. But we had to do a whole tear off, a whole rebuild. Basically we had to put plywood on the, on the, on the, you know, on the planks and everything because it was, it was like a destroyed roof. Right. And I'll never forget it. Right. This is why my roofing career didn't last the way it should have. I was on top of the roof. Right. And Paulino's on the bottom. And I tell Paulino or he tells me, he goes, here, grab this plywood. Right. Because we're going to we're going to put it on. The, we're going to put it on the roof. So I said, OK. So I reach over the ladder and I grab it. Now, simultaneously, when I grab the plywood, plywood isn't light, first of all, then big sheets of plywood. So he's pushing it up. Right. But I'm also I'm, I'm pulling it up. And simultaneously, the wind blows, and it literally picked me up off the roof briefly. It was probably about three inches, maybe. Probably about one and a half. Probably about one and a half, right? And that was it. That was it. I never roofed again. I told Paulino, I'm done, bro. I'm just going to sit over here. He was like, just go pull out some nails over there, bro. And that was it. I had a hard time getting down, and that was the last time I roofed in my life. But, but, but... um. But I think I think that's where Paulino got to start at, right? And that's and, yeah. and he knew this is a way to make money, and and yeah. this is you know this this could be a future for me. And he's been doing it ever since. Maybe not in the form that he is right now, but in some way, shape, or form, he was either doing it or learning about it, understanding the business. Um, and I'm gonna let you explain that. But I do want to punt. I want I want to give one story of my own that I have with Paulino. Um, that probably gave him a rude awakening of how serious it really was for us on 19th street. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so one time I never forget, Paulo had his, he had this little two door red car. I, I couldn't even tell you what it was. Right. Um, but he had a two door red car and, um, maybe it was four. I, I'm not sure, but I remember for some reason, I don't even remember where we're going. I couldn't tell you that. I just remember it was me, it was him and it was two. Right. And, and We already know what kind of guy Toot is, right? Toot had a 38 on him. And uh, we go right up. We're driving up Mitchell. And sure enough, we get right to that neighborhood where we were just talking about where Edgar shot at me, where I've shot at so many times in that neighborhood. I've gotten to so many shootouts, mostly shootings, not shootouts, because they rarely Mm -hmm. shot back. But but a lot of a lot of shootings over there, right? And so this we were, were pulling up to the light on 16th and Mitchell. All right. And we're going up Mitchell and KFC's right on the corner. And so this light in broad daylight is usually packed. So the line is usually backed all the way up to 15th Street. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened we pull up right there at the end of the line waiting for the light. And sure enough, we land square in front of this bar that is right on the corner of 15th and Mitchell, which is their hood. And wouldn't you know it, the leader of their whole set over there, Chuck D, was standing on the corner with this other dude named Whitey, right? And Whitey's like 6'3", but I ended up being in Wales with him. He's the biggest pussy I ever met in my life. But anyway, 
it, you never believe it because this dude's like six three, right? And at this time, I mean, I'm I, at that time I was probably like five foot four, right? Five foot five. Who knows? Maybe 125, 30 pounds. I don't know, right? So I'm a little dude. We're all little guys, though, you know. And so the 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 dude Chuck D was not. He was with the smoke. Like that's one thing I'll give that dude. He was with the smoke. Yeah. Like he he was ready to shoot any Latin King. And cause he used to be an MLD. He was originally an MLD. That's how he got the name Chuck D. And then I guess when he turned SGD, they called him Chuck G. I don't know. I, but, <laughs> but yeah, but so, so, but he was really, he was all, and I've gotten to a few different instances with this guy. Um, and the brothers did a lot. You know, I've got stories about that guy a lot because he was, he was definitely bringing the heat to us. Like he would definitely, he would definitely come and shoot at us no problem but anyway so i see him and he leans back up against the bar and he throws up the pitchfork to us right and so paulino's oblivious he's just driving you know he don't even know what's going on (laughs) yeah and and so i see the dude right and i look at toot and toot's already pulling the gun out like you know there's it's not even like i gotta tell him anything or anything he's already pulling the gun out and then and so my first my first instinct is to throw up the crown right away right he's throwing up the gd because he's not disrespecting the he's not disrespecting the crown he's just throwing up what he is right and he recognized us you know he didn't know who we were but he recognized us remember how i told remember how we was talking about that like you can just kind of tell when somebody and that's the same thing if somebody's like a real whatever like if he's a real cobra if he's a real sgd or if he's a real this real that if you're really real in that gang you can tell when somebody's op an opposition 100 he knew right away and that's why he flagged us just to make sure. And so I threw up the crown and I could see his eyes open up wide, right? And as soon as I did that, he stepped forward. You know, the dude Whitey kind of stayed up against the, the bar. I don't think he wanted no problems. But but White, but Chuck D starts coming towards the car and Toot right away pulls the gun out the window. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, hold on. And Paulino's like, yo, he's finally, he looks in the back seat. And he sees dude's got the gun out. He's like, yo, bro, this is my, he's like, it's my car, bro. He's like, no, I'm driving. He's like, yeah. He's like, man. It's... And I'm like, I'm like, all right. I'm like, too, chill, chill. And he, so he pulls the gun back in. And then the dude, Chuck D, starts chasing the car. I mean, we're going up Mitchell. Like, Mitchell's a busy street, broad daylight. And he, pull, he pulls a gun out of his hoodie. Right. And he's chasing yeah. the car, like going across 16th Street. I mean, across across 16th Street up Mitchell, like he's literally trying to chase us down. And and we're telling Paulino, I'm like, oh, no, Toots telling me pull over, pull over. And I'm telling Paulino, maybe we should pull over. And he's like, no, we can't do that. man. We can't do that. He's like, we can't do that. We can't do that. And I'm like, all right, if he starts shooting, like we're hit because there's no way we can shoot back. You know what I mean? And he's like, don't worry. I'm, you know, and he ends up making a turn and we get away. But. But I think after that, well, first of all, we never got a ride from Paulino again. But second of all, <laughs> I think he realized, like, okay, I was right by stepping away from these guys because this, this, this really got real, right? So that that's my one story I'll give. Um, but, but now it's important. Me, it's in, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you feel. You you can get into yeah. it. You can get into it. But I'm I'm gonna yeah. hand it over to you. But I want you to get into now what 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 you did. You know the foundation steps to your business, and and then just talk about where it's at right now and then ultimately where you want it to go before you go into that paulino Mm -hmm. because we've had a lot of stories like this on this podcast and i've always wanted to have so berto just told that story now i want to know when all this was happening what was going Mm -hmm. through your head so check it out so simultaneously roberto and and, and what the other gentleman in the back didn't realize is that i know i too I know this dude. 
Like I knew those two, two dudes, right? I, we weren't like best friends or because Edgar would be over there and I used to sell him weed all the time. So like they knew I was basically labeled as a neutron. Like I was neutral, right? So mm-hmm. this dude already knew me because I sold him weed before. So when I actually, like when, when, when Berta was saying that I was just kind of driving because I'm oblivious, I actually looked at Chuck D and I was like, oh, there he go. And then I'm like, wait, what the hell is he doing? Because <laughs> me, I forget a lot that I forget how serious the gangbanging is, right? Because it was just mm. like almost second nature to get into fist fights and shootouts, right? So I'm like, oh, fuck. And then I'm realizing, oh, shit, I got the... I got two of the heaviest hitters right now on the south side with me. And in all reality, like, like they could have beat the shit out of dude. You know what I mean? If there was no guns involved. But then I'm like, fuck, now this motherfucker's going to be more mad at me because I just got angered out of that neighborhood, you know, a month ago. And now he sees us hanging out with the ops, you know, his ops, basically, you know, that are my, that's my family, basically. And right. then, so you're right. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in my head, I'm like, fuck, man. I was like, I don't want them shooting at him and I don't want him shooting at my car because now I'm involved. Now I would have a, a duty to have to participate and, you know, you know, react into the situation, you know, later on. And then I was like, fuck, man. So then I just, I just wanted us to get the fuck out of there right away. I was like, no, 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 my windows, my windows. Cause you know, we've been in shootouts already. That's the first thing that goes is the car window. And I didn't want that. You know, I'm 15 years old. This is my second car. This is actually the nicer one. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm pretty proud of this car. And yeah, and we, we, you know, uh, luckily Berto right away noticed my, my vibe. Like, oh, fuck, I don't want to fuck up this car. You know, we're actually having a good time. And then, yeah, so like, you know, my, my, my portion of the story is I'm trying to get away from this dude, you know, just because me and him actually were pretty cool. We never had any altercation, you know, but he understood my, my standing on, on my relationship with Latin Kings, because he knew that I'm I'm from Milwaukee, I grew up in that neighborhood, and these these are people that I have ties to, but I'm not involved in what they got going on, you know. So that was like very clear. So he was more upset that I was bringing them around to his to his neck of the woods, you know what I mean? Because right. I ended up talking to him probably like two days later, you know what I mean? And he wasn't even that he wasn't even upset at me. He was actually laughing. He's like, "Oh, I had you pussy motherfuckers running from me." And I was like, da da da. I was like, you hesitated, you hesitated. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like you, you, you had to put it together yourself. And you know, we kind of left it at that. But, but yeah, that's kind of my 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 part of the story. But it was uh, honest, honestly for me at that time, the, my position in the streets as a hustler, you know, and kind of you know an opportunist as well, was like I I had to deal with that a lot. Where it's like, oh shit, I'm on this side of the street because this is where I grew up at. So now the Latin Kings, you know, they kind of set me in a way, but they also keep me at a distance because they know that I'm involved with any other game. Because right. as long as they got money, I'm 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 going over there and I'm you know I'm gonna get my my portion of, of whatever's happening at that time. So and side note, you know, side note, uh, Eric, just so you know, yeah. like it's messed up. You you know I you know obviously I'm grown now. You know I grew out of that that life and and but you know it's it's uh. It's noteworthy to mention that the guy Chuck D actually ended up dying. He ended up getting killed, yeah, he ended up getting killed. and and it's uh, it's still an unsolved mystery. As a matter of fact, you know he got he got killed execution style. So yeah. a lot of people think it was somebody close to him that set him up. You know they tried to blame the Kings at first, but you know it, you know they 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 went away from that. And uh, because the way he got killed, he he ultimately got lured into a gangway. And um and and they shot him in the stomach with a I think a pump with right a they, they, yeah, with a, a shotgun pump. and then and then they shot yeah. him in the face with a nine 
wow, yeah. from what I heard, you know. So yeah, so, yeah it was an execution. He 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 pissed off somebody else that had nothing to do with with anything Latin King. <laughs> yeah, and then before we get to the like the good stuff, um, you know, um, like you know, if you heard Edgar throughout throughout this uh, throughout our stories, Edgar ended up getting murdered by one of his, you know, he got set up by one of his friends in 2020. So it's yeah. like, and I've, I've mentioned them, I've, I've mentioned them before on the, on the podcast to Eric. Yeah. Um, so it's like, these murders are still happening. Like me and Berto are actually going through our friend Rick's uh, murder because it's the murder trial for the people that killed our buddy Rick. And right. it's just like, right. you know, that's, that's kind of right. and to, like, and to be fair, Eric, um, I mean, now we're, we're here now, so I might as well address it. Like, you know, it had, it had, had the trial not been pending and active, I would have, I would have talked about Rick a long time ago. Um, Rick was one of my closest friends. I grew up with him. Like we literally talked about the yeah. day I met him. Um, and, and so that's how long we've known each other. You know, Rick has been one of my best friends for a long time and I would have been talked about him and his situation. I mean, we've, we've already shared some of his stories and he's got a lot of them. And so, yeah, I just, I just didn't because I didn't want to mess with the integrity of, of uh you know the trial and and i didn't want to have any anybody potential listeners being biased to to anything that could possibly affect that case and so that's why i haven't been uh you know too too forthcoming but but i will mm -hmm. mention him next week and i will talk to him and, and i'll talk about him sorry and and so that way you can get a, a, a an even deeper knowledge of rick because he definitely was one of our best friends but but yeah just uh you know kind of you know branching away from like the street life um, it, it was more or less like, like growing, growing up in our environment, it was like, you just have a normal day, but that, that's kind of about, that's almost like a normal day right there. Like that little story that, that we just talked about, you know what I mean? You're, you're, you're with some random, not saying some random dude, but guys, you know, see every day. And then all of a sudden, you know, you know, people that you're connected to, you know, the, is their rivals. And then all of a sudden, you know, a murder might happen. You know I mean? Right, and let me, like, let me ask you this. Let me, let me, let me, let me ask you this real quick, Paulino. Right, yeah. just is just trying to be objective here. So that happened. We hadn't mm -hmm. drove together in I don't know how long. Right, that was the first yeah. time we drove together in in yeah. a long time. Right, and you know, so my question is, what were the chances of that happening to you? Were you with anybody else? Mm -hmm. Anybody else that you could think about? Um, what were the chances of that kind of situation happening to you, opposed to being with me? Not not happening. It's not happening. <laughs> That's not happening because people will let it go. You know what I mean? Right. People, it, and so, it, and it, we can laugh just, about it, right? We can yeah. we can laugh about it now, bro. And 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 I'm sorry to interrupt you again, but but we not can laugh good. about it now. But but the the thing is, is this is the reality of what we talk about every week, Eric. Right? Like mm -hmm. we talk about the reality of how easy it is to be swayed and be convinced and then to be gung-ho on whatever you're doing. And so that's, that, that's a prime example of, of just how it was, man, just how the levels changed. And it was almost like everybody kept setting the bar higher and higher and higher when it came to how we dealt with each other. And um, yeah, man, I just, I just thought it was, I just, I was thinking about that point right now and I was wondering, man, I wonder, you know, any other day Paulino was driving with somebody, would that happen to him? And, and you know, obviously, no. You know what I mean? No. Yeah, it, 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 it only reason, happens because you idiots got in the car. No, and the reason <laughs> the reason I say no is because no one was really 
no one was really at that level of seriousness when it came down to game banging. You know what I mean? But the Latin Kings. You know, everybody, to be honest with you, was more about enjoying their day, having a good time, you know, smoking weed, drinking or something like that, getting to, like I said, getting to a fist fight. But when the Latin Kings are involved, it's more or less, you're respecting my crown, it's Latin King world, and, and if you're not with it, we're, we're shooting at you. And they were the only ones holding to that. You know what I mean? So so it was kind of, you know, not not and, saying that. And, that, and to that, call balls and strikes, right. We can call balls and strikes here, too, to be yeah. fair. You know, it, it we lost brothers, too. And that yeah. just goes to show that there's always somebody on the other side, man. And, um, yeah, it is, I do agree with you. I, I believe that the Latin Kings, if I could, if I could, if I could summarize it and characterize it, I would say that the Latin Kings um, had had more members that were willing as a whole, you know, and I'm just seeing gen- in general members that were willing to go all the way, you know, opposed to there was other gangs, but they didn't have quite as many members, but they still had some. And the ones that they did have, you know, they were dangerous. Cause like I said, I mentioned Chuck D, you know, but I, I can, I can literally sit here and name guys from each different gang that were really, really about that life. They were ready to do whatever, you know, and they didn't care. They were ready to get down. Um, the, 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 the reality is just, there was just a little bit more, you know, at, at that time, at that time, or at, at time we're talking about, you know, Oh, 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 two to basically Oh five. No, yeah, and then it's just like, like, like you know, at that time, like I said, you know, the Land Kings is it was that's what they were that's what they were about, you know, it was just the straight gang banging. They didn't live by anything else, you know. It was very rare to meet a Land King at that time for me, right? My, my I'm talking about my experience, right? Because it was rare to meet Land Kings that were really about something else other than gang banging. Like gang banging was their number one thing. You, could, I met, you know, plenty of other gang members and. You know, the last thing they want to do is gang bang, but they still will. You know what I mean? But it wasn't the right, first right. thing they were. That's about. that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, um, you know, and like you said, you know, they they actually had members that were really focused, involved, and so they did they did outnumber a lot of people. It could be like five Latin kings. It could be like fifteen Spanish cobras. Trust me, those five Latin kings are going to handle those fifteen Spanish cobras. You know what I mean? So, like that's just the way it worked. So, like, between the two of you, why do you think it was that the Latin Kings were so into the gangbanging side of it? Was it just because the Latin Kings were the biggest gang, most popular gang in Milwaukee at the time? Or is there another reason why the violence was so up for the Latin Kings as opposed to the other gangs? So, from from me speaking from the outside looking in, from, you know, it was more like they had structure so you actually had to qualify to be a part of their club. You know what I mean? You could, they, mm-hmm. you wouldn't just be any little joker off the street like, oh, I want to be a king. All right, we're going to be you in. You can join. That was how other people recruited people. They would literally meet somebody that day, jump them into the gang, right, give him his violation, and now all of a sudden he's a Cobra or he's mm-hmm. a SGD. You know what I mean? That's how, that's how mediocre the recruiting process was for other gangs. You know, for MPs, all types of gangs, right? The ones that I, I, I was kind of, you know, pretty familiar with or, you know, um, had friends in those gangs. Like, it was very easy. Like, you could join 
any other gang in, in five hours, you know what I mean? Just because you want to. If, in order to be a Latin king, it's like a six month to a year process. <laughs> like you know I mean? So therefore you have people that are in better shape, you know, that are more smart, you know, more critical, you know what I mean? More critical thinking. And then you have um, people that are extremists. You know what I mean? With the other gangs, it was more like numbers and a bunch of just, you know, uh, pawns, sort of say. And then you had the king and queen and, and a couple bishops. But other than that, it was just like four leaders with a bunch of pawns. That meant nothing to them. And, and Latin mm-hmm. kings wasn't like that. Everybody's a, a knight. Every, everybody's important. Everybody's a, a future leader. You know, so right. it was not necessarily, you know, I'm just I'm just speaking from my 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 instances of being around Berto, you know, being around Tim right. and, and a couple other kings that I knew, you know, so, you know I'm talking about, you know, half a dozen guys. Right. So let me let me jump in and say this, too. Right. Like, um, I think I think. Uh, I think your characterization is important to note um, because for a bunch of reasons. Right. But but. It's important to note, especially because I think about how I see it from the inside and the way I see it from the inside is not how you see it from the outside. The way I see it from the inside is I seen the weak, the weak links that were in my circle, right? I seen the guys that weren't willing to be in the street and putting in work, right? But because we had such a standard that we set within the small group that we had, it made it look like everybody around us was really like that. You see what yeah. I'm saying? And and that's what's crazy because I'm listening to Paulino and I'm like, man, he's given us a lot of credit. And then I started getting to a point where I was like, he's given us a lot more credit than we deserve. Right. <laughs> but I'm talking about, but I'm talking about as a whole, I'm not talking about, as far as what he's seen, because what he's seen was real. That was a no nonsense group. Right. But that's because that's because with that, within that group, there was another group (laughs) that was the real no nonsense. Mm -hmm. And if we were, and obviously those other guys are going to be around, you see, so it makes us look like as a whole and that, and that go, and that spreads out throughout the other chapters too, because yeah, I was always 19th street, right. In my heart. But I was a king before I was anything. So when I was a Latin king, that made it look like everybody, you know, and not just me. I'm not talking like I was, you know, I'm not saying I'm the emperor or nothing. I'm just saying in general, like there was a group of guys that made this impact that made it look like a web of killers. And it really wasn't, bro. It really wasn't, you know, and, and from the sounds of things, it's, 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 it's almost reassuring you know, if I was looking at it from a gang member standpoint, it's reassuring to hear that it's mediocre like that in other gangs, because the way you explain how other gangs are, which I never would have had any insight on because I've never been around. Right. So to hear his insight is important to me because I get to see what it was like and looking through his eyes going that way. Look, you know, he sees probably all the dudes that I see you know, that I, that I look for weaknesses in my group. He sees that amongst all these other guys too. And so I just think it's cool to run parallels, you know, and see how they differ and and how they like, you know, at the end. So, um, yeah, listen, 
We can do this all day, bro. Listen, we can do this. All, we can literally do this all day. That's the crazy part is me and me and Paulino, man. We got so much history. We can do this all day. But you know what? For but for our viewers, man, we have to get to where you at now. Sitting in that office that you worked hard to get, you know. Um, let us let us hear about that, man. Break that down for me. Yeah. So, in, in, in our retrospect, one thing that I always appreciated about uh, working was that, like I said, I, I felt lucky, even though you know, I, 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 you know, the way I grew up was was not normal or whatever, or you know, poor me, boohoo, right? But one thing that I appreciated is that I had a lot of family members that 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 I noticed that that's what they did is that they worked hard. Right. And and something that saved me joining a gang or kind of wanting to at least get away from the streets was I had a son when I was 15 years old. And and, and to and, and to be quite frank, when we were teenagers, Eric, we literally all of us had kids like if we were grownups. We we're all 14, 15, 16 when we were having babies already. So that was like not really not it was it wasn't like not normal sort of say, right? Oh, he's 15, got a kid. Oh, okay, cool. He works. He's doing good. <laughs> so that was, so what I ended up doing is I ended up roofing because I, I, I naturally liked roofing, right? Because I used to do it with my dad as a little kid. And those were like, he actually taught me how to roof, you know? So like him being in prison at that time, him, you know, getting out and then getting addicted to drugs, um, it kind of pushed me to, to want to, you know, work hard and, and get, get something the right way. And, you know, it didn't really last that long. You know, I probably roofed for about a year and a half. And uh, my boss that I worked for, he was like the worst businessman in the world. Like he actually was the most hardest working roofer. You know, I never seen a roofer um, as good as him because all we did was like, you know, two story houses, Victorian houses. We got a lot of Victorian houses in Milwaukee and that's how we worked on. But he wasn't a good businessman. So actually, he turned me off on the financial benefit about it at that point. And then fast forward, you know, I ended up, you know, like, you know, after everybody started getting locked up, you know, like after everybody started getting locked up with like murders and stuff like that, I ended up, you know, continuously hustling and then hustling kind of took over my profession. So that was like my number one profession. But then I ended up wanting to get away from Milwaukee because I felt like there was so much killing going around and it was so close where I felt like I was almost going to be a part of it. You know what I mean? Like it was either going to be me killing somebody or me being a part of a murder, you know? So I wanted to avoid that. Like deep down inside, I always wanted to avoid that. Right. So I ended up, you know, telling my, my older brother, we actually got into like some crazy shootout, right. The, the night before we ended up leaving and uh, luckily we got away. Right. And we got away and, and, you know, I woke up in the morning and I told my brother, I said, man, let's go to Miami, man. And, and I'm 17 years old now. And he's like, really? I said, let's go to Miami, brother. I said, remember when he was, because my brother at one time, you know, he's five years older than me, but he was actually, uh, he was selling ecstasy pills, but he was bringing them from Miami on the airplane, like nothing, like just on a carry-on. So I was like, bro, let's go to Miami. Let's go meet your connect. And, you know, we could get jobs out there and we could just start a life out there. And I'm 17 and my brother's like, all right, let's go. And, you know, I had like, to be honest, I had like $8,000, you know, life savings. We ended up just going to Miami. I mean, we, we're on our way to Miami, but we end up in Clearwater. And when I get to Clearwater, we end up staying over there because one of my friends, his uh, cousins were down there. They were MLBs, but they were like, they were not gangbangers or anything. They were just from Chicago. 
And um, and they let us stay with them for a week. And then what I ended up doing is finding a job out there. And I and little behold, I ended up becoming a roofer <laughs> over there. And it was just something that I could never escape. So then, you know, I ended up going going to Florida, but then I ended up coming back and forth. And I still was involved in the streets from like that age until I met my wife, right? I met my wife um, when I was 25 years old. Um, it took me about a, a year for her to, you know, break down her walls and, you know, take take me serious. And then once I met her, she kind of like at that time, I'm, I'm kind of fast forwarding from 17 to 26. I'm fast forwarding that life. I was actually involved in, in a lot of a lot of drug dealing at that time. You know what I mean? And it was like it wasn't it wasn't just in Milwaukee. It was, it was a little international you know, going on for me. And at that time, the way I looked at life was like, all right, great. You know, I made it this far, you know, all my my life work, my hustling. I got the right connects. This is who I want to be. Right. That's the mentality I had. And then having friends like, you know, obviously, you know, me and Berto, we're used to having friends that are doing life in prison, 60 years, 30 years, 15 years, 10, five. You know, my, my outlook in life was like, all right, if I get caught, if I get caught with a brick, right, say I get caught with a kilo. Um, I might do five, 10 years. Like, that's nothing. You know what I mean? I know people doing life, you know, and actually right now my dad's doing seven and a half years and he'll get out in 2025. So going to prison wasn't that big of a deal for me, you know, but I, I luckily I never got to that point where I had to go to prison. Right. Mm-hmm. And then once I met my wife, I was actually a single dad for about four years and I met my wife, right. We're just dating. And then she kind of, re- she didn't realize how involved I was you know, and, and what I had going on. And once she realized how involved I was, she like almost had a panic attack. And she's like, oh my God, like, do you really care about your, cause I have three boys and I got a baby girl at that, you know, that, that they're, they're small at that time. Hmm. And, um, and then she's like, I love your kids to death. And she has kids too. So, you know, I have, I have a stepdaughter and, and two stepsons and, you know, we actually love each other. We fell in love with each other right away. Me, you know, as a family, you know, we have seven kids. It's me and her. Um, you know, I'm 26. She's 25. You know, we got seven kids together and we just fell in love. She didn't want to let that go. So she gave me an ultimatum. She's like, listen, I can't be dating someone that is comfortable with going to prison any given time. And then she can't be dating someone that's willing to 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 jump into a, a violence, a fight or a shootout because there's incidents while we're dating. You know, somebody owed me some money. They didn't have it on time. You know, we end up over there, you know, finding out he's at a restaurant. We go over there. You know, we, we want to like basically gun him down or scare him into paying me at the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And I kind of would do it so like it was such a reflex to to me and to, and to, to my group of, 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 you know, associates at that time where it's like we didn't realize what we're, that what we're doing is like crazy illegal. But that's something that my, my wife realized, like, dude, this is not normal. You shouldn't, be, you shouldn't think it's okay to smack somebody in the middle, in the middle of nowhere, or or you know, you know, call up your your soldiers to go, you know, go find somebody, drag them out of a restaurant, and you know, pistol with them. Like that was like the plan, you know. And over seven hundred bucks, and it, and it wasn't even about the money. It was just like him trying to dodge me. And mm-hmm. and this was kind of where where I had an ultimatum. Like, okay, I met this good girl. You know, she wants to be here for my kids. She really cares about me and she wants me to give this thing up. She's not looking for a personal benefit of my situation when it comes money wise, because everybody in my family, like like I kind of explained to like my parents. Right. You know, like they didn't raise me. But once I started making money, I was taken care of. 
You know what I'm saying? I was I was always the the one with the money. Like, oh son, I need a thousand dollars. Here you go, mom. Or or my dad, I'm always bailing him out his situations. You know, he owes somebody this much money because he, he you know, he ran off with some drugs or or whatever. You know, it's I was always taking care of my parents at their at their certain point in my life. And not one time did anybody ever tell me to stop. Everybody was actually trying to get a piece of it while it was happening, right? So I was just kind of used to that. And then when I when my wife gave me that ultimatum, she's like, "Dude, I do not care about money." She's like, "You're you're you're a roofer, like just roof, just work. Like, do you love working?" I said, "Yeah, I love working." You know, because I would jump in and out of roofing at any given time throughout the year, right? I might go roof for a week and not even charge my boss the the check that he owed me. You know, I just kind of do it for fun <clears throat> and to kind of get things off my mind sometimes too. So, so once I made that decision. You know, it was more or less like, all right, I'm gonna stop doing what I'm doing. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find, I'm, I'm gonna start roofing. So I, w- I was actually roofing with somebody at the time, off and on, and I just started, you know, roofing with him every day. But then what ends up happening is the reason I'm, I'm roofing at this company. It's a small little getup, right? It's like two guys, one salesman, me, and like one of the owners is is a foreman on the crew, and it's like three other white dudes, right? It's like the slowest roofing crew in the world I would think. <laughs> but the the retrospect about it is that they would all buy weed for me, you know? <laughs> so it was like I was it was almost such a reflex for me to hustle where it's like I can I couldn't just get rid of it, right? So like I, I'm I, necessarily that's like me being retired, right? Like, oh I'm retired. I'm not a drug dealer no more, but all I do is roof and sell a little bit of weed to my to my coworkers. <laughs> to my co-workers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so that's like me quitting. And then, you know, I never really smoked weed like that or, or got drunk. I'm really, I, I like to always be sober. So, like, I never even, I wasn't even smoking that time. But since, you know, I'm going to work and going straight home, I started smoking with my boss and everybody on the ride home. And my wife would get mad and be like, dude, why are you coming home high? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I roll up the blunts for my boss and this is what we do, <laughs> you know? And then, and then all of a sudden, like, when I made that turning point is because, I didn't realize how easy it was for me to jump back into something very serious that could be freedom threatening, right? And I and I always I always used to try to make sense of my choices and try to lessen like I would try to lesser the evil, right? So it's like I get a message on Facebook and it's somebody like, Hey, you know, my, my mom needs help, you know, she's having problems, you know, she has something up there, and then you know, little to behold. I, I get I get connected with them and all of a sudden they drop off two hundred pounds of weed at my at my apartment and I end up I end up taking it you know because they can't move it they're having trouble I end up taking it I end up hiding it in the apartment it's my it's actually my it's my future wife's apartment right it's a two bedroom apartment there's really no room to hide it so I'm like hiding it in the linen closet and then two days of just kind of hiding it from her I ended up being able to get it out it, they're actually like in these like like tubes. So I had to like cut these tubes with a sawzall. So we ended up doing it at, at, at one of my dad's. Um, you know, my dad was a he was addicted to crack. So <clears throat> and I used to play that to my advantage. I would give my dad and his friends, you know, a little bit of dope, and I could take over their house, you know, or, or the apartment building they live in. Because they'll live in apartment buildings just full of full of crackheads. And I would just go over there, spread a little money, spread a little dope, and then it was my building for 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 a couple of days. So we take all that over there, cut it open, and I was able to like sell it in a couple of days, and then. Me not even really knowing my trouble I'm getting into, I'm not telling my 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 wife what's happening, and she like she was just so upset with me, right? 
And and that's when I made that decision where it was like, you know what, is this really the life that I want? Because she's looking at it like, dude, you just did all this. You could go, you could do, you know, basically a long prison sentence. And then she kind of got me to the point where I cared enough about her and the future of my family where I wouldn't want to put that, put even have that happen again, right? So I just kind of, after that little run, I, I was like, I'm done. And then once I was done with that, the hunger of becoming the best roofer in the world, like turned on literally immediately. And then I started, um, I was actually still working with my boss that I was so weed, but they, they didn't have it organized. You know what I mean? There was no money to be made there. I was getting like a thousand dollars every two weeks. I was like, dude, like this ain't even paying for dinner. You know what I mean? <laughs> this isn't even a steak dinner for me, my wife and our seven kids, you know, cause that's the type of, that's the type of living we're doing. You know, it was like, I, you know, I always had a nice car. We was always going out to eat. You know what I mean? We're, we're, we're always spending money. Right. And I was like, man, I, I can't, I can't do this. So I got to find somewhere else where I could, I could get paid for what I do. And I found that immediately. And then I ended up figuring out like, cause I ended up meeting my, my boss at that time. Right. And he paid me, uh, basically, I don't know, obviously people don't know about roofing, but a bundle of shingles, it's like 22 shingles. Right. And I met a guy that was paying me $10 for every bundle. So my goal was to do about 30 bundles a day. So that'll be $300 a day. So I ended up, I ended up going from making $500 a week to ended up making $300 a day. So I ended up catching checks immediately um, for, for $12 to $1,800 a week, like right off the bat. And I was like, wow, I really can make enough money to support my family and to just take care of them. Like, that's ultimately what I wanted to do. And then my business savvy is what started picking up. You know, I started figuring out what my boss was doing. I figured out, you know, how, what he needed from me so he could basically hire me as a subcontractor. So I started working as a subcontractor. And then all of a sudden I realized what a 1099 was. <laughs> and once I realized what a 1099, I said, oh, wow, I thought I made, I thought I made $80,000 with this guy. Nope. You only made 50 K cause 30, 30,000. <laughs> so that was a big awakening for me. I said, whoa, I'm actually getting taken advantage here. You know, this guy promised me this certain amount of money. And then I'm actually, you know, that's getting, you know, 30% of that's getting ripped away from me. Cause, cause, the, and then that's when I ended up figuring out that I actually have to take a step back, work at a work at one of the best roofing companies in my in our area, and then figure out what a real roofing company, how it operates. And I ended up doing that. I ended up joining the roofers union. You know what I mean? I ended up becoming a commercial roofer. I ended up becoming a, a very good tenor. So I was very talented in the roofing industry because of the way I was raised in the industry, so to say, other than, if, you know, if you were to erase all the street stuff, that that I grew up in and you were to really focus on just all the roofing and all the real hard work that I did as a little kid until I was uh, that age I actually had a lot of experience you know like when, when I met Bert when when I had Berto I had my whole neighborhood one time roofing with me and and I would do that for the summers you know what I mean I, w I was doing that all the time and I actually at 15 years old I was actually running a crew you know, my own jobs, I was actually the boss at 15 years old, you know what I mean? So 
I was able to take those skills into a bigger company and I was actually looked at as somebody very elite really fast. And then I was able to build that traction within the union. But then one thing about the union, like, don't get me wrong. I wish I would have, I wish I would have, um, you know, the union is great. You know what I mean? But it, the, the, the track that I, I wanted to be on, cause I do have seven kids. I have four of my own three step kids. And, but my wife always had a good job. She was, she was a really hardworking woman and she always had her stuff together. So I didn't, you know, it was two incomes. So, which was, a, which was good. But then I wanted to, to make more money in order to make money. I had to, I had to become a foreman, but I would have had to wait five years for my foreman to retire for me to take the reign. And then I could have started making decent money, like 80, 90 K a year. And I couldn't wait that long. You know what I mean? It was like the the inner hustler in me. Like I started knocking on doors, you know, on the way after I would, I, I would get off of work. I would go around the neighborhood because I actually moved away from the South side because my, my wife, she didn't live on the South side. She lived like by, by Franklin, which is a good, a good area in, in, in our, in, in away from Milwaukee. So I started knocking on doors and I started explaining to everybody, Hey, I'm a union roofer. I work for Linger, which everybody knows that company. And I said, and I would, I would give you a great deal on your roof. I would do any repair that you ask of me for, for, for a discounted price. I was like, but I only could do it on the weekends and I only work for cash. And I promise you, if I was to do your roof, I would bring the best roofers in Wisconsin here on a Saturday and we'll be done with your roof in one day. And honestly, I just started doing that on the way home from like November to the end of till Christmas. I didn't get any traction. And then come the following February, man, I had a, my phone started blowing up and I ended up selling like about $40,000 worth of roofs. And, and I kind of just took off from there <clears throat> and I kind of took off from there, but I ended up figuring out that selling roofs was pretty easy, but actually producing the roof, like the material, getting the, getting the material and all that stuff wasn't, I, I had to figure that out because no one trained. I never had any training, you know, and I never really had any sales training other than, you know, kind of growing up hustling. And, and once I figured out that loop, right, you know, I'm going to fast forward it. That, that was me at, at 26, 27 years old. And once I'm, I'm, you know, I want to say once I was 28, I, I, I took the leap and I quit my job. And then I ended up uh, going out on my own, which was a, not a good idea because I ended up, uh, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a good businessman at that time. You know what I mean? So it took me about two years of failure to figure out how to make a successful, sustainable business, which, which ended up turning into me becoming a roofing subcontractor. And so it I was a up, good idea then. Yeah, it was a good idea. <laughs> no, it was but a at good the time, idea to fail, yeah, but, but you gotta but, fail. Yeah, yeah, I, I failed a lot. So, like, before I ended up quitting my job, me and my wife, we we ended up moving into a, 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 a you know, 1,500 square foot ranch style home. You know, we had, it was a, it was a full house, you know, that we found for rent. So, you know, we upgraded our living situation. We have, you know, three cars. I have a couple motorcycles. Like, you know, we went through a lot of hardships by, by me really focusing on working and, and staying away from, from the old hustle, but it was more or less, I was still spending money all the time, you know? So, <clears throat> but thank God that my wife was always like a saver. So when I ended up going out on my own, we had like $18,000 saved up. And, and by the time I, those two years had passed, I actually, um, I was actually owed like over 
$50,000 from other roofing, co- from other contractors that didn't pay me. And then I actually, we have like no money in the bank anymore. And then I think I racked up like over $20,000 in credit card debt uh, under my, my wife's credit cards. Mm-hmm. So I was really in the hole when, um, when, when, when I, I made that transition from, you know, from trying to run my own, my own deal to becoming a, 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 a subcontractor for ex- just roofing companies. Because out here, roofing companies, what they do is they sell the roof, but they hire the labor. So then mm-hmm. I ended up figuring that out. So I ended up meeting with some companies. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with, you know, roofing. It's it's basically Mexican, you know, Hispanic dominated. So, you, you know, every roofing crew out here barely speaks any English. So for me to show up to a company and say, hey, I'm an actual roofer. Very, you know, this is what I actually do. And I speak English. Everybody's like, oh, my God. I'm giving you all my roofs. <laughs> so, so immediately within three meetings, I had three companies that wanted to just flood me with all the roofing they could. Cause I told them, Hey, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm still a union roofer cause I'm paying my dues until they tell me I can't. I was like, um, this is what I'm skilled at in commercial, residential, you know, every aspect of a roof. I know how to do it. I mastered that. And I was able to build about three teams within that year, that calendar year, I was able to build three teams. And then I actually was doing work for three companies. And after that calendar year, I was able to open up the company that I own now called Swift Roofing. But it was actually me convincing my wife to quit her job and to help me establish the company, you know, because she comes from a corporate background. She was a, she, she, she always was, a, she was actually a manager at Wisconsin Vision. For, for quite some time. So she always had big manager experience. She was always like the boss wherever she worked at. So it took me a little bit to recruit her, but once she started seeing the finances coming in that they were real and that the operation that I'm running is pretty big, you know, because even at that time, I, I probably had about 30 guys working for me. And, but I was a subcontractor. So it wasn't like I had a, you know, quote unquote real business. It was more or less we were just working for other companies. But once I was able to recruit my wife and, and grow the, and get the branding out there of Swift Roofing. Um, it was it was more or less like I was able to really prosper in a way because I still had the the gift of showing up to a homeowner and and I and and, and taking care of them from start to finish. Like, and nobody else was was willing to do it the way I would because I would sell the roof to a homeowner, I would install the roof with my team, and then I would be there finishing everything up 100%. And then I was able to collect the check upon completion. And me not really knowing this, just kind of working and hustling, you know, I didn't realize that I was building a system that was going to be able to grow my company from, you know, being in, you know, being in debt, you know, being probably over $50,000 in debt, you know, to, to grow in a company that, you know, like I said, last year, we generated, you know, over $3.9 million within, you know, three years of being in business. Nice. And, and 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 a lot of that goes with with um with with um with the help of God. You know what I mean? Like one thing that I want to highlight when when I made that decision to become a, a subcontractor, and like I said, all these companies owed me, all these other contractors owed me money. I actually was gonna go back to my job. Like the next day, I was gonna call my boss, and I prayed. I prayed, and I said, God. Tell me what to do. I'm going to leave it in your hands. 
you know, do I go back to this job? Because my wife is, you know, we're not married at the time, right? You know, but she's, you know, she's my fiance. You know, like my fiance is mad at me. I can't even pay the bills. I can't even pay the rent. I've been taking all the money away from the house to pour into this business. Like, God, what do you want me to do? You know, I was like crying, praying to God, asking for guidance. And legit, the next day that I woke up, I it's like I knew what to do. You know what I mean? It's like I, I, I said, you know what? I'm not going to chase the money that's owed to me. And then I get a phone call from a, from a roofing company that always paid me on time, but they didn't use me a lot at the time and told me, they're like, Paulino, I have a big job ready to go tomorrow. Okay. And it's about 300 squares. And, you know, 300 squares is a lot. And then I was like, really? And he's like, and you know, me, I always made it seem because, you know, I'm, I come from a world of sales, you know, from the underside. I always made it seem like, I wasn't in need of business, right? I always made it seem like that. Whether I was broke and I needed that check or I was down and out, I always made it seem like, hey, I'm not lacking business because we're so skilled and we're the best. You know, you getting on my schedule is going to be pretty tough. I always had that aura about me everywhere I went, right? So this guy, when he calls me, he said, Paulino, I need a solid. I know you got a bunch of companies barking up your tree, wanting to keep you busy, which wasn't happening at that time, you know, because <laughs> the people that were keeping me busy owed me money. You know, and I didn't want to keep continuously work for them. And he was like, dude, if you guys can start this tomorrow, I would I would owe you everything. He said, it's 300 squares right now. And another couple of months, we'll do the other 300 squares. I was like, oh, there's, there's another 300 squares. Like, I'm thinking that in my head. And then I was like, wait, how much are you going to pay me per square? He's like, oh, how much do you want? I was like, come on, shoot me a price and, you know, we, we can go, you know, you go. You know, I go high, you go low. You know what I mean? That was like a little joke that me and him had going on, right? And then he was like, all right, what about, you know, 185? And I was like, I was literally going to tell this guy 125. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, that's the max we could sell on it. That's the max I could give you on this job. I said, done. Um, I said, you know what? I said, before I commit, let me make a couple phone calls. I do got a lot of stuff booked for tomorrow with my, my, my three teams. Um, let me see what I can do, man. I'll call you back. And then in, in, in all reality, I'm in my head jumping up and down doing backflips, you know, so I hang up the phone and I get so excited. And it's like, like one thing that I could realize is God is real at that. You know, God showed up that day and I start just saying, thank you. Like, thank you, God. You know, I, I, like, I'm so happy. I, I, I like start crying. You know what I mean? Like, like not crying, like sobbing, but just like tears running down my face. And this is me in the living room ready, like basically telling myself oh man what am i gonna do am i gonna go back to you know going back to the legal side of stuff you know what i mean and and, and am i gonna go back to my job like i had so many thoughts running through my head i felt like a failure i felt like that was probably like rock bottom right there you know yeah, everybody everybody, and, everybody waits on that break man you know? yeah everybody is waiting on that break they're waiting to get that uh just that that euphoria, you know, um, and that can come from anything, man. You know, not not everybody is going to own a business in life. You know, some people are content with, with, but you get that feeling from other things, you know, that are similar. You get that feeling, you know, even, you know, day to day, week to week, you know, um, I'm sure. But I can imagine, though, man, that had to be a crazy, a crazy swing of events. Uh, Eric, you got anything? Well, my my number one question, Paulino, is: Was there ever did you 
does it surprise you that you became an entrepreneur? Um, in all retrospect, no, because I used to, I used to tell it to myself when I was a kid. When we were kids, man, we, you really couldn't say your dreams out loud without getting shut down. So it's like I always had this burning desire to be an entrepreneur. entrepreneur. And, and to be honest, when when, when you're a hustler on 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 the streets, you're you're you're, you're almost fitting that category because you got you got to wear a lot of hats. Yeah, because so, when you as you told your story, it's like, oh yeah, of course this guy's going to become an entrepreneur because there was just entrepreneur written all over your your childhood right, right. right. yeah always ch always being able to identify where the money is coming from, yeah yeah right like totally yeah. you know that's that's a that's a skill that i mean not a lot of people possess man you know like i think there like that's a real there's a barometer in, in every person right that's set from a young age and when it comes to valuing money Right. And, and I feel like different events can change that barometer going up or down. And I think like for me, you know, obviously growing up in poverty, you know, like I understand what it's like to be poor. You know what I'm saying? Like I understand what it's like to be sent to the store with a dollar food stamp to get something for a quarter so you can bring back the change. Because yes, you can't sir. spend food stamps on anything, <laughs> right? Yeah, so, I, listen, yeah. I know what it's like to be poor, man. I know yeah. you can't go with a book of food stamps and spend anything over a 10 if you ain't got the whole book with it because they got to be able to match up the numbers, right? Yes. Like, I know about all that because I've tried it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, so that always made me want to, uh, you know, like achieve success in life, right? But it didn't necessarily correlate to money for me. And I think when I ended up, and because success is defined in different ways. But I, I think when I ended up being a king, it, it dumbed it down even more because I appreciated the relationships more, you know, but, yeah. but then you look at somebody like Paulino who always obviously growing up in poverty, he, you, you people want to get away from that. And like you said, he held his dreams to his chest, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, that was his aspiration. And, and, um, and that defined him, so to speak, not, not necessarily the money, but being able to achieve that. And so I think that's a, it's a it's a direct reflection of how, you know, these communities do produce successful people. They do produce people that can make a difference. Not out. It's not always on everybody's timeline, though. You know, it's not always. It, it doesn't always work out the way everybody assumes it is. And um, I think that's that's something that we could take away from today, man. Is is you can reach your goals. You can you can you can attain success in this life you know at any age you know it's just a matter of putting your best foot forward and now i definitely I, I listen i appreciate you coming man i appreciate you sharing your story it's been a blessing to have you on man i hope people can you know they can they can take a lesson here from you know from our own experiences and uh you know i, I just want to give paulino a chance man once again go ahead shout out your company man you know, I don't know if you hiring, but if you are, throw it out there. I don't know. If you, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if you felon friendly, but if you are, throw it out there because we trying yeah. to help them brothers out too. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm no, letting yeah. you go. Yeah, we are. We are felon friendly. You know, we, we always hiring good people. You know, or like I, 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 I love to say, reform people, right? But, but uh, roofing is really tough work. You know, especially uh, you know the way the, the you know it's it's brutal work. You know, but at the end of the day, it's very rewarding work. At 
at the same time, you know, so, but at the end of the day, the roofing does provide a lot of opportunities. You just got to be willing to accept the responsibility of the opportunity and then the, 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 the finances will present itself. But, but yeah, man, uh, you know, my company's called Swift Roofing. Uh, this is probably like the first time that I actually bring up my past when I have to um, talk about my business. Cause it's like, you know, in, in my business, in the area that, that, that we are, we, you know, a lot of people will shy away from, you know, dealing with a, a company that comes from the wrong side of town. But um, the, that's not the way we operate our company. We're actually uh, very uh, service driven and customer orientated. Like we want to make sure we're giving the customer the best service possible. But yeah, no, my company's called Swift Roofing. You know, we're based out here in uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and and yeah, man, if if anybody wants to, you know, you know, ever wants to reach out or or wants to be a, a part of what we got going on, you know, I'm I'm still in Milwaukee. I'm I'm trying to, you know, I, me and my wife, we actually mentor um, teenagers that go to school with our kids, and we're actually part of a a church called Victory Outreach, and we're actually um a part of the ministry there where. We're trying to help youth. We're actually part of a, a gang ministry where it's like, you know, solely solely based on uh, the teenage uh, age group, which actually, as soon as we're done with this interview, I'm going to be heading straight over there. Um, nice. But uh, but yeah, guys, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it, it, honestly, thank you guys for having me on. You know, I, I appreciate this. You know, I hope, you know, my story, you know, can bring a little bit of light, um, you know, to the darkness, so to say. But then it's just like kind of what, what, what a young person has to realize is that you have to take advantage of every opportunity that is good for you as well, not just the opportunity that are bad for you or, or fast for you. You know, that's something that I learned as a little kid, you know, kind of growing up the way I grew up is, you know, I, I wanted to get away from the darkness, but I, you know, it's like we almost were born in darkness, so we had to be a part of it, you know, without, yeah, yeah but, yeah, you know, yeah. so it was more or less like, you know, I feel that God played a big part in my life because no matter what, me looking back, like I could have easily been a murder victim or, or a murderer, life in prison or 20 to life or, you know, could have been in prison in other states, you know, due to my dealings, you know, what I was, what I was handling at one time, but. But God had a had a different path for me, but I was able to accept that path and, and take on that. Yeah, that's and that, and that's the most important part, right? Is yeah. is knowing it's there and and taking it are two entirely different things. And I'm a victim of that. I've I've uh, I've taken the wrong <laughs> the wrong option. Multiple choice is not my <laughs> strong suit. I I've taken the wrong option way too many times, man. But you know what? Yeah. I'm here now. We here now. Yeah. We making it, you know, we define success, right? We make it what we make it what we want it to be. And getting to come home to my wife every night, that's success, man. You know what I mean? I ain't got I ain't got the three point nine in revenue yet, but you know what? I'll be on that tail soon, man. You know what I'm saying? Once I get my subscribers up, I'll be telling them to like and follow and everything, man. I'll be trying to stay on it. I don't know the lingo yet, so they don't really hear me. You know what I mean? But, you know, but yeah, man. No, listen, for real though, man. It's been it's been great having you on, Eric. I don't know you got something for him. No, I'm good. So you good? So with that, man, go ahead and close us out, Eric. Once All again, right. thanks to Paulino. No yeah, thank you, Paulino. And as normal, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a 
feedback on your favorite podcast player, and you can reach out to us at normalizedcrime at gmail.com. We will see you next week with that. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Bye, guys. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Normalized Crime. Stay tuned for the next episode.